Welcome to episode 110 of the Gamboss Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On this week's episode, Christian and I watched the documentary The Last Blockbuster. I, I really only picked this one because Paul Shear like has sort of been like talking about it in the mini sodes of their podcast, and I thought <laughs> he had like a much bigger part in this. And as I, I don't know what to say. Like I was I feel like I was slightly disappointed in this, but I still liked it. Yeah, that's kind of where I was. I I didn't hate it until I started. I mean, I I still don't hate it. Uh, but I I I enjoyed it mostly until I started doing the notes for this episode, and then I was like, I don't know how much I really got out of this. As like, if you view this as being like an informative documentary, I don't think it succeeds at all. But if <laughs> you view this as something like a vh vh1 i love the 90s series like right. i love blockbuster series then it works because it's that, just a nostalgia trip that is exactly what this felt like right like <laughs> i mean most of this is just famous people who agreed to be in this except for one one guy who they didn't go into waxing poetic about how much they loved going to blockbuster <laughs> and And that is probably a quarter of this movie. Yeah, it's just like more than once people kind of just do like a slice of life, 10 minute, like wander through the store. And I'm like, who who wants this? I I wasn't getting anything out of that. Right. It was basically what Blockbuster means to like 10 moderately successful Hollywood actors. (laughs) Like that's that's really what it is, and I mean let's let's jump into the main parts of it. But I, number one, what I off the bat, what I thought was funny was everyone being so into Blockbuster. But I remember when Blockbuster came to my town, Christian. So many people were mad at it because it killed the mom, like the two mom and pop uh, video store rentals we had. Mm. But then every you know everyone went to it. It's like everyone hates on Walmart, but a lot of people go to Walmart. That's why they stay in business. Yeah, yeah. And we we only had that I remember like one small town video rental place, and then we had like a the one that was attached to our grocery store, and then we had a Blockbuster, and then later we had a family. Okay, now so we you have actually now have... we have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you got to probably have a red box. So you guys actually had a family video and a um, and a blockbuster then for a short period of time. Yeah, I believe they were both in business together. I, I think family video is the only like national. I don't even know when I say national because I, I think they have like 19 stores left or something. But like <laughs> was what was once a national video rental store that is still in existence. I mean. Uh, one of the more rural counties around here had one until about 2018 or actually might have even had it until the pandemic hit. I don't know. I haven't driven past there for a couple years. Um, and I was like, my mind was blown when I saw that because I thought all video <laughs> rental stores had died. Yeah. I mean, the, the town where I go to college is, uh, it, it had a family video up until like two years ago, I think. Yeah, so like, and it makes sense why the last blockbuster could still possibly exist in like a more rural area. But so for our for our viewers who don't know, Christian, what is I guess the general premise of the last blockbuster? We kind of just jumped into it. 
but yeah, I mean, we <laughs> honestly we covered the the bulk of it just being people kind of reminiscing about the blockbuster times, but uh, narratively, it it's kind of broken into two pieces, which is a general history of blockbuster and why they went out of business, and then a more general and even less informative conversation about this one building and business in particular but yeah the the bulk of it is just these these like random celebrities they got on to be like yeah remember that that time we did this and with a video rental and and man i i stole a bunch of videos from this place and uh i i did enjoy uh i think it was ron funches saying like they put out the going out of business sign he's, he's like i just went and rented a bunch of gamecube games and like you're never getting these back you know what's crazy to me is about his story is he was able to rent a gamecube game because blockbuster went out of business in like 2010 2011 <laughs> like that was into, well into the wheeze life cycle <laughs> uh i mean i have a lot of my own mini stories about blockbuster because that was I'm pretty sure the only video rental store we had in town, and it was like two blocks from my house. So, you know, growing up, we went to it like people did, but then it kind of exited my history once you hit, I don't know, middle school to through high school. <laughs> and then my next memories are from college when I go back to town because they would, it would be a buy four for buy four, like use DVDs for. 20 bucks so i would go there and like it was cheaper to buy dvds than rent them from there yeah absolutely like i i really don't have blockbuster stories a, a friend of mine lived like half a block away and so we would walk down or bike over and, and like rent wii games on occasion but yeah i mean that, that's kind of as specific as my stories get i, I could tell that like the basically like 30 instances of that exact same story and it's not really interesting but yeah I, I, I don't know people were getting all worked up about like, Oh, you go in and you browse the aisles. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you can still do that at like a Walmart. I won't lie though. I do miss the ability to, I like physical media. And and at some point I do have some questions of with you about like the physical digital future. Um, but I do remember like just walking around blockbuster and browsing stuff because I would see stuff I would never see before. And you, you do that on Netflix too, but Watching this actually, may, I think, may like help me make a distinction on why I have a hard time picking a movie because on Netflix, like I'll spend, I like to eat, I like to watch a movie when I eat dinner or whatever. So like I would make dinner, and it's me summer. Whereas like if if you are going to rent something like you eventually have to just make the choice and leave with that movie and then you like you have to watch it in a certain amount of time like I have a list of things I want to watch and then I'm probably never going to get to whereas <laughs> like when you actually put money down on it you're like okay I need to watch this within two days and get it back like weirdly I need the countdown timer or whatever like I, I have a deadline that I need to meet on yeah. that so like I I don't know if it's I feel like there's something to that in general, but I don't I don't think it's just specific to me, but I'm curious if you have the same issues. Well, I mean, nothing motivates like a deadline. I, I will say uh, I'm pretty sure I have four DVDs down on my shelf that I rented from Family Video like eight years ago. And just never, I was like, well, it's too late to return these. Uh, I'll just never go to Family Video again. <laughs> um, 
So, so yeah, the, the deadlines didn't necessarily fill me with a, a sense of like impending necessity, but I, I will say like there are definitely days where I will eat my entire dinner just scrolling through Netflix and never pick anything. Yeah, it's like an activity in itself. And even like, you know, they made a big deal about Netflix in this, the, the, the old version where you get DVDs. I would get stuff and like hold on to it for months because like Netflix was nine bucks. It was mm-hmm. like one and a half rentals from Blockbuster at the times. So you're like, whatever. If I watch two movies, like I'd make my money back. But then like I would get a movie I'd never just quite was in the mood to watch and would sit there for like a <laughs> month. And it was just like, oh, this is a waste of a pick, you know? When I was in my first semester at college, I had the uh, Netflix, you know, DVD only, like in the mail. They would send it to me, and I had a a uh, like a DVD ripping program on my computer. So I, they would send me the DVD. I would immediately just save it to my computer and put it back in the mail. <laughs> wow, I mean, so you built a you probably built a pretty nice digital library then. Yeah, it wasn't bad. <laughs> uh, I so <laughs> I. I do want to ask some questions or I want to bring up a couple things here, but the the most interesting part of this movie to me is that a movie rental store actually still exists. And weirdly like the corporate structure that allows a blockbuster, which is bankrupt to have a store that exists. Like that is what honestly intrigued me most about this. And I was trying to like look up how that actually works because have, could you, can you think of any other corporation that has gone bankrupt in one store just still exists randomly? No. <laughs> uh, like when, I, I think when that... Toys R Us went out of business, like all of them shut down when Macy's go out, like when Macy's it's not out of business, but um, who was before Macy's uh, Kaufman's when Kaufman's went out of business, like, everything shut down yeah the the closest thing i can think to that would be like radio shack and they even mentioned radio shack at one point somewhere in this documentary because i'm i'm pretty sure there's still one in business in new york city somewhere that is crazy it just seemed like she was like renting the name almost from dish network or whoever it was that owns the blockbuster brand now it, like it, it didn't seem like they really had anything to do with her business so much as they just had to like sign off yearly on her continuing to use the name. Right. So looking into this and trying to pick up context clues from the documentary, what I think happened was Blockbuster had this. God damn it, Jeff. So looking at context, sorry. So looking this up and looking at like context clues throughout the movie, what I think Blockbuster's structure was, and it seems weird to me, but maybe this is more common than I realize. They had some sort of hybrid model where there were corporate owned stores, but then there were also franchisees. And so all of the corporate stores shut down when they went bankrupt. And most of the franchisee stores did too. But when you're a franchisee, you basically just pay to use someone's name and they give you training manuals and all that stuff. And you follow it. Um, and that seems like what this was, was this and the Alaska places were originally some other local place they're like, well, we have, you know, we'll pay to use Blockbuster else we're going to go out of business because Blockbuster is the 600 pound gorilla in the room at this point in time. But because they weren't part of the corporate stores, it was up to them how long they would do it. And like you said, it just seems like they're at at the end just renting the name like Blockbuster, like Viacom had nothing to do with it. In one scene, like this woman was just going to Walmart to buy videos <laughs> like there is absolutely no corporate structure to this. No, which brings me to my point of 
why can't they update their point of sale system? Oh, I bet I, I bet there's no reason other than point of sale systems are extremely expensive. Okay. Yeah, maybe there is um, I know I know a restaurant I worked in in twenty ten update, like they got a new one and it was like I wanna say ten grand. Oh holy crap. Okay. Yeah, maybe they're just more prohibitively expensive than I feel like they should be. But uh yeah, like I'm I'm sitting there going like, okay, at the beginning of this they're saying there's still twelve stores left, and then they're saying, Okay, there's still four stores left, and I'm like, okay. If they all, if those stores all need to communicate with a central database, then I understand they're they're locked in. But if you're the only store left in existence, you you can set your own course there. <laughs> Just get a oh, new yeah. system. That's what I was thinking when I was watching this. Was there has to be a better way because they're running such an old system. My guess is cost. Otherwise, like you would just build your own database on a more modern computer system that just uses a lot of the same ideas that your current system does. Right. But, but there's just there's no reason that that woman should have to be scavenging and cannibalizing like old POS terminals for like a, a stick of RAM or something she needs for this computer. Like that is horrifying. Yeah, I mean, she is, I mean, granted, she has workers, but it seems like that place is kept alive entirely by her, and it's crazy to me that she is not the owner. She is the general manager, which is a good position, but you, that, like, she's doing stuff you think the owner would be doing of trying to keep his investment alive, you know? Yeah, she is single-handedly keeping this, this place together. Like, yeah, she's going, like you said, she's going to Walmart and... They even say in the documentary, like, oh, you go in, you tell Sandy, like, oh, this is the movie I was looking to rent. And she's like, oh, come back tomorrow and we'll have it. And she'll just order it for them. Like, that just seems wild. So I actually looked into this because I had no idea how video rentals work. And I saw some conflicting stuff. But I think what actually happens is, and they briefly mentioned this in the the documentary, is that a Supreme Court case in the 80s have basically said, if you buy a VHS or DVD, you can rent it. And then movie theaters have fought back against it, and there have been cases against Redbox and stuff because Redbox would just send armies of people to buy these movies from Walmart. Um, <laughs> but really what, what you need to do and why weirdly video rentals are a little bit cheaper now to run than they were in the 90s is through you, you purchase through wholesalers, mm. but you need a big enough business to justify it because if you're buying retail it's like you're paying 20 bucks for a movie you need to rent that four times to recoup your money um and so if you do it through the wholesale you lower that number of rentals you need out but as the rental market's slowly dying like those guys are becoming less and less powerful because blockbuster at its heyday just had an agreement with all the major studios to have like a profit sharing thing so they would get really cheap videos. That doesn't really exist anymore. Um, but mom and pop shops can compete again because everyone's on the same playing field <laughs> again. And that's how it like, there's a rural County near me where this wasn't a family video. It was just like a convenience store that basically would pay to have a couple movies in as like an incentive. And then they just made a bunch of money off of, you know, snacks and stuff like you kind of do at a movie theater. Did you, ever realize how expensive VHSs were when they first hit the market? No. <laughs> and the uh, these the VHS is like I guess came out before I was born. Never knew they were uh what $100. Yeah, that is pop. the that is the one thing in this documentary that absolutely blew my mind. 
and, it, and you know what's it's funny because you heard them say a lot of the arguments that you're hearing now as to why Disney is charging twenty dollars mm-hmm. for a movie in theaters. Like they're very similar arguments where it's like, well, you can show this up to eight people and we're losing X amount of money. <laughs> Could you imagine if Disney charged a hundred dollars for Mulan? <laughs> Oh my god, yeah, you, I mean, even, not even though, like, these are, it, it would be like going to Walmart six months after it comes out, and finding finding Mulan on the shelf in the new release department for $100. Yeah, $100 in the 80s, Christian. Oh god, yeah, I, like, I hadn't With really even considered like, that. I think that's like 300 bucks now or something, like, or it's, it's definitely, I think, more than 200. It's some amount that is just like, I could buy a new game system with that. Yeah, I, I, that, my, my jaw hit the floor. I could not believe, hang on, I'm punching this into an inflation calculator. We'll say 1985 for $100. $244. So it's, yeah, it's almost 250 bucks. <laughs> For one movie. Money, yeah, for, for what? For The Lady and the Tramp on VHS. Dude, <laughs> I mean, this is this is why... Oh my god, that's crazy. It's not even like that great of a quality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not Betamax. Right. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, yeah, It'd I, be that... cheaper for you to pay... To, to buy a laptop and pirate the movie <laughs> every time you wanted you would just buy a new laptop oh boy yeah that that, that was the thing that was just absolutely bananas to me so that, that is i i guess i can't say i learned nothing from this it's just not what i expected to learn <laughs> yeah i have a question for you about this lloyd kaufman who i guess is the creator of toxic avenger was in this why was he in this i have no idea i don't really know who that is I only know the Toxic Avenger because they used to play it a lot on G4 TV. And I I guess it's like just some cult movie or whatever. And what I took away from it was Blockbuster refused to put Lloyd Kaufman's movies in their stores and he hates them. (laughs) I don't know why he was in this movie. Yeah, I mean, they they had him in there for... They even say like that was our 90 seconds with Lloyd Kaufman or whatever. And and this whole thing is... Like, oh, I used to work with movie executives and they're the scum of the earth. And I was like, whoa, whoa. Right. Like he has no context like at <laughs> all as to why we like the other people you get. You're like, OK, they went to Blockbuster and it's just like this guy hates Blockbuster. Maybe it's just classic fair and balanced coverage. We had all these people talking about how amazing Blockbuster was and they were like, we got to find somebody. Yeah, I am glad that this movie did not just continuously talk. I mean, they were very effusive about Blockbuster, but they at least acknowledged that Blockbuster did kill a lot of local shops. Yeah. I thought they were going to gloss over that. <laughs> um, It's weird, too, like, watching this, because movies are, you know, you're more into movies than I am. I kept thinking a lot about GameStop when I was watching this, because I'm more <laughs> into games. And it makes me wonder if in 20 years, if GameStop is dead... Are people just going to be like, remember how great GameStop was, which until this entire like stock thing was going on, everyone hates GameStop otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody still hates GameStop. It's just nice to root for the underdog ones in a while. But right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would hate to see that, to be honest. I would, I would really bother me. 
especially since it's like a meme it's a little outdated now but it was like oh i've got i found like the fountain of youth and you take it to gamestop and they're like 20 dollars store credit it's i i can't imagine people are really going to to feel that way but then again like i don't think 15 years ago i'd have walked into a blockbuster and been like people are really gonna hate when this is gone (laughs) Yeah, and I feel the same, like a little bit of stuff they had mentioned in the Blockbuster documentary that I know is going to happen with GameStop is in a lot of parts of the country, a Blockbuster was the only place that you could go to yeah. rent a movie because they ran out all the mom and pop stops. That's very true for GameStop. Like, there are not a lot of um, independent game stores out there because games are, I mean, retail's slowly, like, brick and mortar is just slowly dying. So it's not like a high margin business and a lot of their revenue comes from used game sales. And so when you don't have like a national chain to kind of pull from, it's it's a lot harder. So, you know, I'm sure some people will be said because you your only options are then going to Target or Walmart or whatever and paying full price. We weirdly have two independent video game sellers in town. Is it the same? I think we have the same one that you guys have. Something that Kevin Smith brought up in the documentary that I actually think did make a lot of sense was the idea that something like a blockbuster could get a revival as something the same way that like record stores got a revival where people just like going in and browsing and being around like like like-minded people. And I could definitely see that being a thing. Like I could see video rental places becoming like record stores where, you know, it's just you know, just like basically a long hallway full of stuff that people can go rifle through. I actually agree with that too. It becomes like more niche. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's repackaged for the hipster community basically. Right. Like they start selling VHSs again, like all the old <laughs> dead formats. No, but they, they, you know, I could, like you said, a record store, something like a comic book shop where you have a local strong support and things are coming out weekly. So if you get regulars, like maybe you can stay afloat. And things like that kind of already exist, not, not in the rental format, but like there's, there's places in Pittsburgh, like the express where you can go and, and it's just records and CDs and videos and cassettes and video games. And it's just kind of a a blending of all media and it's it's just kind of that very like record store vibe I, yeah i was gonna say i know pittsburgh had something that i that's where i used to go my movies from when i was in college um and i i really like that place they always had good selection they had toys they had like you said dvds older games some newer games yeah man i was there in like 2000 like 12 or 2013 and i bought like sonic and knuckles for the sega genesis they just had it on the shelf yeah, so I, I I do see them staying alive to something like that, but that's not really a rental store. That's just a, a retail store. And I don't think we're to the point where we're worried about there being no physical retail of DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever, movies yet, you know? I am... Before we get into this question, I do want to go over. Did you know the history of why Blockbuster failed? Because I was under the impression Netflix killed it, and that did not seem to be the case. Uh, I had heard kind of varying things. Like net, the Netflix rumor was definitely a big thing, but I do remember that they had kind of started to branch into the same market as Netflix, and it seemed like Netflix was just maybe a little more ahead of the curve than they were. Uh, I had also definitely heard the the stories about like, oh, the guys in charge don't really know what they're doing. They don't know how to push this into like the next 
generation. And that, that seems to be what the main problem was. They kept looking for the next big thing and every choice they made was the wrong one. Right. I mean, number one, I do remember when they made a huge deal about removing late fees and on paper, that sounds like a good idea. And it's like, Oh yeah, like that sounds great. Like people might rent from you more because they don't want to deal with late fees. But then in practice, it killed two thirds of their business, which is insane. Yeah, that was wild. I mean, it was an unattended consequence that I would have never thought of that once you remove it, people don't return your stock. And then the next <laughs> night you have nothing to rent out. And then after, you know, a couple of weeks that people just stop, like whoever were your customers just stop coming because you don't have what they want. Yeah, I did laugh at that. That one guy that they were like, did you return movies on time? Because like it was the right thing to do or was it the threat of getting charged a fee? He's like, oh yeah, no, it was definitely the money. I did not care at all whether the people that came in after me could rent this. Right. It's like, I will, I don't want to pay an extra like five bucks for this, you know, like, um, yeah, I mean, it was that. And then on top of it, the financial crisis just also crushed them, yeah. which I never, I guess in my head, like, when I put down my timeline, I'm like, oh, yeah, I went to a blockbuster after the year 2009. But in my head, like the financial crisis has nothing to do with Blockbuster, which it wasn't the case because Blockbuster carried a ton of debt when they were bought, um, which no company should do. But <laughs> the, the amount that they had what what honestly, I think the most surprising fact about this was that someone in the. 90s paid 8.6 billion dollars for blockbuster <laughs> that is an enormous amount of money i i'm curious do you still have the inflation calculator on christian what is that in today's money because i it has to be like 12 14 it was billion uh we'll say in what 1995 that sounds right. 8.9, uh, 8.7. It would like be that. $15.3 billion now. Right. And so I want to put this in context for people listening to the podcast. People lost their mind when Facebook bought Oculus in 2012, I think, 2013, for $1.9 billion. <laughs> in this year, or this in this past year, Microsoft bought Bethesda for $7.6 billion and people lost their minds. Now, granted, you're buying a national chain, but still, like, the amount of money that was paid for Blockbuster was crazy. Yeah, that, that is an enormous number. And I, I'm, I'm trying to remember what they said was essentially the, the debt-creating force, but that company basically was like, we have a business model that just loses money and so we're going to buy blockbuster to fund the other half of our business essentially right like it was i can't remember the chain but it was definitely like a garbage truck mogul or whatever waste management ceo bought it and then they eventually sold it to viacom or something yeah so it it seemed and maybe i I interpreted that wrong but it seemed like viacom had some kind of a, a business model where they were like hemorrhaging money somewhere and just building debt, and they were using Blockbuster to, like, uh, mitigate, basically pay the debts that they're incurring in other branches of their company. Yeah, I mean... And then when Blockbuster stopped being able to do that, it became a problem. (laughs) It sounds like Blockbuster's basically printed money from the mid-80s until about 2002, 2003. 
So like I can see that, but they said in like the one guy opened one, it was a four hundred thousand dollar process, which is a high startup cost for a business. And I mean, again, you can get into the millions in but the still. early eighties, right? <laughs> so I mean, their business—it makes sense why their business destroyed everyone, though. It's because they had profit sharing, and they also just had the number of movies people wanted to rent. Like you weren't like, oh, there's two copies of Air Bud <laughs> to go rent, like. <laughs> We got we got at least five. So I want to ask you some questions about the digital future of this. <laughs> what is your thoughts on physical media and the future? Um, because I know a lot of people in this are like, I miss this. There's something important here. But if you're probably born after 2005 you have no recollection of blockbuster or any memory of it or and just think it's dumb because of the ease of netflix right right so i love physical media i'm a big fan of physical media for basically one or two key reasons and and none of that really makes me feel any kind of way about blockbuster (laughs) So I I don't really have a big cultural attachment to physical media. It's not like, oh, this DVD really hold like like they were like popping the the cassette things open and closed. Like, man, that sound really takes me back. And I don't I don't care about any of that. I I just like the idea of owning a physical copy of something so that a company can't one day tell me like. Right. I'm torn uh, like on the movie side. It doesn't matter to me as much because I don't watch that many movies like i don't i've never been like about owning movies for video games it's a lot different where like i used to very much be like i like to own the video games i think it's better than um like buying them digital or whatever but as video games have been more and more like day one patches where the discs the discs are basically just access to online features i like i've had such a weird turn because like I still like to own them, but really, like, what am I owning at this point? And the the ease of having something just on a hard drive is pretty nice. So I've sort of turned to where I will buy games that I'm like, I think I would someday want to replay this. But if it's a game that I'm like, I want to play this once and probably forget about it, I will buy it digital. Right. And then it's just like, well, I might lose it someday, but I'm only ever going to play this once. Yeah, like, games are tricky because I... I get concerned with the idea that even if I buy a disc, there's nothing on that disc except an access code. Right. And so it's like, okay, well, I'm still in the exact same boat as I was. I still don't really have a physical copy of this. I just have like a physical representation of it. Um, But yeah, for movies, like I, I understand the idea and I like streaming. God knows. I, I mean, we talk about something we watch on on streaming literally every week. It's the entire purpose (laughs) of this. Um, I, I like the concept of streaming, but I like less the concept of, because it's a subscription, right? You like you, you pay into it monthly and they provide whatever it is that they decide to provide and you can choose whether to pay for that or not. And it's so cheap in compare. Like if it's, if you had nothing else except an internet access and you, and you paid like whatever, eight, nine bucks for Netflix, you have an ungodly amount of content to watch for $9. Exactly. And and so I get a little more finicky when it comes to buying digital copies of movies. Like, okay, so uh, everybody knows my stance on cats. I bought cats digital on the Google Play Store day one. It came out on digital. I paid $20 for it. 
So now I can watch cats whenever I want on my phone, but God forbid, like the unthinkable happens and Google goes out of business. I just, I'm just out that $20. It's just gone. Right. And it's so weird because theoretically the same thing could happen on a Blu-ray, but you could probably always find a Blu-ray player to watch it. Like you are beholden to a specific company staying in existence. So if you buy into some weird company or a company that, like Sony for our is getting the play, Sony PlayStation store is getting rid of their like movie section. So I, I bet you can still watch movies you bought, but that store's not there anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So if I have a physical copy of cats, I can watch it in perpetuity for as long as that disc holds up and my, like I can find a player to play it on. And I, I have no concerns about that. And I, granted, this isn't like the most important worry in the world, but yeah, I just, I, I get finicky about, like, you have not bought a product. You've bought a promise from a company that they will always let you use it. And it just bums me out when I think about it. Like, I have in my notes here, it's it's like instead of buying a car, you pay a little less to a friend of yours, and they're like, I have this extra car you can use whenever you want. But what happens if they die, or they move, or they crash that car, or something happens to it, then, like, well, you're out that money. It's just gone. Right. I mean, th- essentially streaming is the ideal, well, not the, the ideal world for companies that they've been working for, right? Because when you buy a DVD, you're technically licensing it, but the only way that they can get that to you is through the physical media. So, <laughs> you you know, you own it, but you're, you're, you have a license, right? And that's what they were fighting over. And you are able to resell that based on the first, what's called the first sale doctrine be, and all this stuff, because you're not selling the product that's, you're not selling you're not doing copyright infringement because you're not selling the artist's work you're selling the disc that the artist works on like it's a real fine distinction but when you have like digital stuff like that they can easily track that they don't have to give you a physical copy and you can't really resell digital stuff like you can kind of sell your account but there's probably terms in use that you're not supposed to be able to do that and all that stuff so <laughs> it, it it is a weird situation that's why I don't know if like digital media itself will ever catch on as much as just streaming where people like streaming is popular because it's so cheap. Like if streaming were already go up to cable prices, I think you would just see a huge rise in pirating again. Well, that's, and and I think that's something that's going to come to a head at some point here in the not too distant future with basically every company in creation saying, Oh, well we need our own streaming service. Right. I mean, that's, it's just, it's unsustainable. So eventually that model is going to have to collapse back down to like three to four concrete. We have everything models like back to a, like a Netflix, Hulu, HBO. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly why, like, I kind of keep an idea in my head of like, Oh, what do I use the most? Because if I ever needed to, these are what I would cut because right now it's fine. Like I can handle paying for Hulu, Netflix and HBO, but if it ever came down to it, it's like I'm probably getting rid of Netflix, even though I've had them the longest. I just don't watch them that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm, I'm sitting here going, like I'm not buying Peacock. I'm not buying. Oh Paramount. yeah, for, right. I'm not buying like whatever else that the like I don't know if Warner Brothers is going to try it and one now, a- but like a- it, Apple TV Plus, which I have a free year for because I I got a computer recently, which is like I watched Ted Lasso on it and loved it. I would not pay to watch Ted Lasso. Like I would not <laughs> I would not get Apple TV Plus to watch Ted Lasso though. Like I don't know. Um, let's get into some of the just quick here information on this before we finish up. 
Uh, last blockbuster was directed by Tyler Morden. And if you want to know who <laughs> the appearances of just like random Hollywood people, Kevin Smith's in it, Adam Brody, Sam Levine, Ron Funches, uh, Paul Shear, Doug Benson, and Brian Posen. And no budget information on this because, ironically, The Last Blockbuster is located on Netflix. <laughs> Christian, do you know how this is done with uh, critics? Yeah, it's it pretty even. Critics have it at a 68. Audience has it at a 66. And uh, that's probably fair. Um, like I said, it was entertaining in the, in the moment, but the more I thought about it, the less I was impressed with this. So would you recommend our audience check this out? Honestly, I I don't think I would. It's too long. <laughs> it outstayed its welcome a few times. Like I if they could have kept this under an hour, even like a tight 45 minutes, I would have been um, I think much happier. I just didn't learn anything about why this particular store is still in existence. And that's the thing that I really went into this wanting to know. Like why did this store succeed where the other ones didn't? And I didn't really get an answer. It made sense to me that the Alaskan stores would have stayed open because in an environment with like no broadband or limited broadband infrastructure, it made sense that like a a local video store could stay in business. But small town Oregon doesn't really have that. I I just I don't understand why it's still open. You know, you know, it's funny, Christian, I actually looked this up because they're like, Ben Small, it's weird. Do you know how many people Ben has? No. 76,000 people like it's quote-unquote small like both of our hometowns are smaller than that yeah that's fair so i guess it's just weird that like it's big enough where they have a dedicated following but also rural enough where not everyone has good internet yeah i don't know they they did some like hand waving a couple of times where it's like oh well oregon's full of like weird hipsters and this town is full of movie lovers or whatever and i was like all right but that still doesn't really explain anything so I yeah I I went into this with like one thing I wanted to learn and I learned a, a few other things but not the thing that I wanted and it it kind of bummed me out. I I'm torn on whether I will recommend this. I would say if you have some sort of nostalgia about Blockbuster, check it out. If you do not and you're like oh if you sorry if you don't have any nostalgia, just I wouldn't suggest checking out because <laughs> it's not that informative. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. If you'd like to contact us, we are at Gambots Network on Twitter, or you can email us at gambots.blog at gmail.com. Also, we have a website now if you want to check that out. That's gambotsnetwork.com. And finally, if you're listening to somewhere where you can rate and subscribe, we'd appreciate it as that does help with marketing. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thank you. <laughs>